You got a timer there? All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did teach the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, granted by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and always rejoice in his consolation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Prayer talk, right? There's so much that can be said about prayer, right? You go into to a bookstore, well, maybe not the bookstore here on campus. There's not a lot on prayer in there, I notice. There's more on witchcraft than prayer. Don't go to that section of the bookstore, okay? That stuff's not good. And it's not, it's not a substitute for prayer. But there have been numerous books written on prayer, right? And so I'm not going to tell you anything new tonight. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing it. And if so, praise the Lord. Um, but most of what I'm taking is going to be from, from what the church already gives us through the catechism and what she herself has received through, through the gift of her saints, specifically St. Teresa of Avila, a little bit of John of the Cross, um, and some of it as filtered through the lens of Father Jordan Alman, who was a Dominican priest um, who is now deceased, but a of a, a master on spiritual theology, one of those that, that was very versed in the writings and the work, the life of St. Teresa and St. John. Okay. Let's begin with a catechism quote. By the way, the entire fourth section of the catechism is devoted to prayer. If you have not looked at that, do it. It's one of the richest richest parts of the catechism it is filled with wisdom and, and, and simple instruction to help you with prayer and also a lot of food for prayer, things to meditate on. So section four of the catechism, I'll begin with paragraph 2697. Prayer is the life of the new heart. It ought to animate us at every moment, but we tend to forget him who is our life and our all. This is why the fathers of the spiritual life in the Deuteronomic and prophetic traditions insist that prayer is a remembrance of God often awakened by the memory of the heart. We must remember God more often than we draw breath. But we cannot pray at all times if we do not pray at specific times, consciously willing it. These are the special times of Christian prayer, both in intensity and duration. There's a lot there, but I want to draw our attention specifically to, to what, what the Catechism says, that our tendency both to forget God, to forget Him, right, who is the very source of our existence, the source of love, and the fulfillment of every desire that we have. And then, 
that the church calls us, right, that we're, we, we know we're called to pray. The church says that, that we cannot pray at all times if we do not pray at specific times, consciously willing it. I draw our attention to that because that is probably the experience of anybody who has, has tried to have a serious life of prayer. We come into contact with this reality that as soon as we start to pray, there is a ton of things that seem to occupy our time and fight for it. And because we cannot see the Lord except in His Eucharistic presence, right? and oftentimes we don't hear Him audibly, it's so easy to forget Him, as the Catechism says. And so we let the time that should be given over to Him be squeezed out. And we busy ourselves with other things. Yet the the Catechism says we must remember God more often than we draw breath. We must remember God more often than we draw breath. Okay, without drawing breath, we die. Without drawing breath, we die. So think about that statement. We must remember God more often than we draw breath. The saints have put this in another way. Right, that as oxygen is to the body, prayer is to the soul. As oxygen is to the body, prayer is to the soul. The soul, right, the body is going to die. We will get a new one in the resurrection. The soul is what is immortal. Right? And the soul is going to determine, right? The life of the soul is going to determine whether... We experience that new body in heaven with all the beauty, the goodness, the joy, the fullness that is to be had there, or are we going to experience it for eternity separated from God, the punishment of hell? A couple of quotes to kind of bolster that. St. John Chrysostom. It is simply impossible to lead without the aid of prayer a virtuous life. It is impossible to be virtuous if I do not pray. And St. Alphonsus Liguori, and this one's a little more jarring, I subrace yourself. Those who pray are certainly saved. That's good news. Here's a bad part. Those who do not pray are certainly damned. Those who pray are certainly saved. Those who do not pray are certainly damned. Okay. It's a serious matter. And I don't want you to fall into despair right now because I know a lot of you, high school, college students, you know, busy with work, that are like, oh man, I don't pray. (laughs) Things don't look good for me right now, okay? The Lord is infinitely merciful, and he wants us to grow. Like, that's part of the reason why we're having this talk, is because we, we try. It's not for lack of effort, not for lack of desire, that most of us usually don't pray. But we've never been, been taught more than, than some of the basics. And, and we easily are deceived, and as I said, just the busyness of life um, can, can smother us. And so I don't want you to, to be 
to be too worried, but hopefully that, that you'll take from this, have a little more renewed vigor when it comes to the life of prayer, right? That, that it will be top priority on my list. Recognizing that it's not something, you know, God's not trying to fight for time with everything else. Right? He, he should be with me in everything else. Right? He's not one amongst many other things that I have to do. He's the one, the one through whom and by whom and with whom I should do everything else. And it's through prayer right, where I encounter him most deeply. My relationship with him is strengthened and nourished. And then therefore I am strengthened to be able to go into the rest of my life knowing and attentive to his presence with me. Because there's a relationship already there. Okay. So another thing that we, we tend to, to struggle with most of the time, like if I were to say, like, what is prayer to you? Most of the things that we, we think of right off the bat, like the Our Father, the Hail Mary, you know. When I, and, and, I, and I hear it. Okay, so how's your prayer life? It's good. I say grace before meals and I pray before I go to bed. Okay. And it, it's, that's a specific kind of prayer. St. Teresa lays out nine different degrees, stages of prayer. And most of us are completely ignorant to it. We've never heard of it. Right? We know of prayer as talking to God. And we think of talking on human terms because that's what we are. And so I need to say words with my mouth or to think them in my mind or to write them on paper. That's what St. Teresa and the tradition of the church calls vocal prayer. That is the First stage, entry level, spiritual infants. That's what St. Paul says, right? He says, I gave you baby food because you weren't ready for red meat yet. But the idea is that we all progress, just as we do in the natural order. Right? That we grow from being an infant and a toddler Right? to an adolescent, to an adult. That is the natural progression right? of human nature. The spiritual organism, right? There, there is a similar progression that we should grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual adolescence to spiritual adulthood. And prayer progresses with those and prayer directly impacts how well I grow or whether the growth is stunted. Right? So it, it's at once an, an indicator of how well I'm growing, but it also impacts, it influences the growth itself. And so I'm going to list for you the nine, the nine stages that Teresa lays out, and I'm going to try to cover just, just maybe four of them. Okay. The first, as mentioned, is, is vocal prayer. The second is meditation or discursive prayer, mental prayer. The third is affective prayer, affective with an A, meaning affect, our affections. The fourth is the prayer of simplicity. The fifth is an infused contemplation. The sixth is the prayer of quiet. The seventh is the prayer of union. The eighth is the prayer of conforming union. The ninth is the prayer of transforming union. That's a lot. That's why we're not going to cover them all tonight. And because, 
and be way more than I'm, I'm, I'm capable of. It's probably above my pay grade right now. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's good to know, right? And, and, and so here's something else too, right? Some of you are taking notes. It's, it's good to go back and look at this stuff. Don't feel like you have to be able to, to teach this stuff to a T. Okay, but it's good to know the general trajectory and some of the basic signposts that are present in each of these stages for your own good. Right, so that can I have a, a general gauge of where I am. And we, we want to protect against introspection and becoming scrupulous about this, but it's good to just kind of check every now and then. Right? Where am I at? Where am I at, Lord? Um, okay. Let's jump in. Well, okay, before I do that, two more, two more categories or classes, if you will. Those nine, nine uh, stages of prayer are split into to two other types of prayer, broader categories, with, in the tra- tradition of the church that's called ascetical prayer and contemplative prayer, right? The first four stages, vocal prayer, Meditation, effective prayer, and prayer of simplicity are considered ascetical prayer. Right? We think of being ascetical, asceticism, self-denial, ascasis. It's the Greek word that that comes from. Um, that athletes right, deny themselves the working out, right, the struggle, the exercise. That's, that's what we do. That's what, what, what that means. When it says ascetical prayer... It means that we are the primary actors. Okay? We never act alone now. We have to remember this, that prayer is a relationship. So God, God is always actually the first mover, if you will. The catechism always says that too. That, that our, our movement to prayer, our hunger for prayer, is, is but a response to God's desire for us. And so he is the one that's constantly calling and constantly moving. But he, he doesn't infringe upon our freedom. And so it requires an act of our will to begin to pray, to engage him in prayer. But those first four degrees of prayer are going to be primarily us. We're responsible for for exerting energy and effort in prayer. And again, this is something probably that we can all relate to. That I've had to exert energy and it wore me out or I'm not used to, to putting forth that much energy. Prayer is supposed to be restful, right? I put forth the energy when I go to class, when I'm studying, when I'm taking tests, when I'm going to the rec or whatever. Prayer is supposed to be easy and I go to do it and I'm like, Look, I can't stay focused. All these thoughts keep popping in my head. I can't keep from looking at my phone. I can't sit still for five minutes. It's hard. Okay? That's normal. If that's your experience, but, but keep in mind, okay, these first stages require effort on our part. They're going to require more effort on our part than in the latter stages. The last five stages of prayer fall under what is called contemplative prayer. And by that we mean that, that as, as the first stage under contemplative prayer, right, infused contemplation, it's the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that actually begins to pray in us. He begins to pray in us, and so it, is, it's, it becomes a shift 
right, from ascetical prayer, when I'm doing most of the work, trying to stay focused, trying to think, to ponder, to question, and to relate that to the Lord. There's a movement from that to where the Lord is, is, begins to do that in me. And that may sound weird, right? Um, and, and it is. The saints who write about this stuff attest to it. It is a completely different kind of prayer. And so because of that, because it's, it's supernatural, it's not, it's not natural, it's not human, so to speak, it's a shock. It's a shock to the soul. And so there's usually some fear that comes with that. And so oftentimes also it's hard to explain because it's otherworldly. It's something that comes from the Lord himself. It is divine. And I want to distinguish here real quick. Right, when we talk about contemplation as something that God does within us, the word contemplation is used a lot throughout, right, just, just Christian prayer and the history of it. And, and it doesn't always mean the same thing. And so we need to just be aware of this so we don't fall into confusion, right? St. Ignatius is a, is, uses the term contemplation in his spiritual exercises all over the place. Oftentimes this is, is like imaginative prayer. So it's, it's more ascetical prayer. It's not contemplation in the sense that St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross mean. Okay. If you remember that, great. If that just went in one ear and out the other, that's fine. But just, just to throw that out there in case you ever come across that, that you don't, you don't get confused. Okay, let's move into vocal prayer. We're going to try to not spend too much time on vocal prayer. I want to spend the bulk of it on meditation. As we've already said, right, it's the prayer that, that, that is expressed in, in words, whether spoken or whether written, okay? And it's the prayer that we're most accustomed to. It is present both in public prayer, right, in the liturgy, and in our own personal prayer. And it is good, right, when we say that it's the entry level, it's spiritual infancy, that's, that's, that's not like... You bunch of little babies praying vocal prayer. That's not, you know, it's human. Right? The Lord has given us the faculty of speech in order to praise Him. Right? And so, to exercise it. But the thing that we have, to, we have to make sure is present. Right? The two components of vocal prayer. Devotion, right? meaning there's, there's a certain fire in my heart right, that leads me to express the words. Right, there, there's, there's something behind the words in other words. It's not just me babbling. Right? So devotion and attentiveness. That I am attentive to whom I speak, to what I am saying. It's easy, and we have all experienced this too, you know, when I say my prayers, that it's just a task. I just got to get it done. So I'm rattling it off. And I can do it really quick. I love the, the auctioneer rosary, you know. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Okay. 
It's vocal prayer, but it's, it's not really prayer. And St. Teresa of Avila would say that. That prayer which does not attend to the one it is addressing and what it asks and who it is that asks and of whom it asks, such I do not call prayer at all, however much one may move the lips. So it's not prayer. It's mindless. Prayer engages the whole person. And so if I'm going to speak, then I need to consider who it is that I am speaking to What it is that I am asking for, what it is that I am saying. I need to be mindful of those words as I speak them. And I also need to be mindful of myself. That when I am speaking to Almighty God, I am speaking to one whom I can trust, yes. To one who loves me. But to one who is not equal to me and one who is not beneath or below me. And again, Jesus rails against this in the gospel when he speaks you know about the pagans do not babble like the pagans do who multiply words thinking the more that they say that they will actually be heard that's what he's saying here there needs to be a certain focus That, that I'm speaking to one who is real who is more alive than I am who is the source of life itself who is worthy of my praise and my homage I come before him with humility, and I measure my words. I don't just say them. Now, when we're talking about rote prayers, the ones we've learned, that's, that's how we learn, right? We memorize first, and when we grow older, then we should begin to think more, right? Develop the attentiveness to the words that I'm actually saying. And so, practice that. Practice that. We talked about that in the homily series. Right? That the mind is attuned to the, to the voice when we're in Mass. It's the same thing when we're in our personal prayer. When I am speaking to the Lord, that I pay attention to what it is that I am saying to Him. And that I engage my mind, and then right, it's fueled by this devotion, this longing, this love, this gratitude, this hunger. What we'll see is that as you progress from these different degrees of prayer to the next, often, oftentimes what is present in one stage will cease to be present in the next. And it's important right, that, that that takes place. Both John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila say this, that if, if one is, is, is not willing to allow the Lord to lead them to the next degree of prayer and to let go of, of what, was, what was commonplace to the previous stage, they will not advance. They will not advance. Vocal prayer is something that we will always have. Any advancement, right? vocal prayer still remains a necessity. One, because it's a necessity that we go to Mass, right? And so vocal prayer is part of the liturgy of the church. But also just because, again, that foundational place where where devotion is stirred and because we're human. And that even, St. Teresa says, in the heights of contemplation where, where you don't even think, the mind is completely arrested by God, 
There may be times when we need to return to vocal prayer, right? Just to stir the fire of devotion to lead in, to lead into that. Okay. Meditation. Prayer number two. Stage number two. Discursive meditation can be defined as a reasoned application of the mind to some supernatural truth in order to penetrate its meaning, love it, and carry it into practice with the assistance of grace. Right. So we apply the mind to some supernatural truth in order to penetrate its meaning, to love it, to carry it into practice with the help of grace. Similar to vocal prayer, but even more so here. Attention. Attentiveness is absolutely necessary for meditation to take place. It's indispensable. We'll find that in this, the process of pondering the supernatural truth, whether that is something that is given to us in Scripture, whether it's the text of, of, of the Mass, right, the prayers that are prayed, whether it's, it's just other revealed truths, right, something that the church gives us as far as, as part of our deposit of faith, what we profess, right, the different dogmas that the church hands down. That in pondering them, love should be stirred. Okay? And here we talk a little bit about the different faculties of the soul. The intellect and the will. We'll throw imagination and memory in there as well. Okay? And this is, is, is why attention is, is indispensable. Because it, I need, if I'm going to, to ponder something... If I'm going to dig into something, my intellect has to be used. And it has to be focused on the specific object of study. When that takes place, okay, and remember, when we're doing this, every, every little facet of the faith, and every little kernel of truth stems from and points back to Truth itself, which is the Lord. And so in, in focusing our mind on one specific detail of the entire body of the faith, right, we're still encountering the Lord. And so when I'm using my mind to think about this thing, to think about maybe the incarnation, right, to ponder that, divinity taking on human nature, and everything that that entails, the Lord will begin to work. Right? If I'm doing my part, trying to stay focused, now, we're not going to be perfectly attentive. That is impossible. Except maybe in the very heights of transforming union, the final stage, where St. Teresa says that, that, that the Lord is, is everything. And so it's easy to stay focused on Him. But that's, that's a supernatural grace that He gives. It's not something that we can do on our, on our own. Right? And remember, that's where we are. We're still in ascetical prayer, and so we're doing most of the work. Yet, 
we're still encountering him. It's not an exercise, you know, that it's an end in itself. It's an encounter with the Lord. And so if I am pondering some truth, I am ultimately pondering the truth who is God himself. And in doing so, he will begin to stir a movement from my mind to my heart. A greater understanding of the love of God that he emptied himself in the incarnation. That he had no need of me. He's perfect in and of himself. He emptied himself, took the form of a slave. Became an infant. Right? And pondering this, right, the movement from the head to the heart, love is stirred. And should, should lead then, right, into some expression of love. And this can be verbally. Right? It can be just an interior movement, an interior glance, or a lifting of the heart, a surge of the heart, as St. Therese says, right? towards the Lord, in gratitude and amazement and wonder, with greater hunger. So the intellect is engaged. The will then becomes engaged. When we pray, the entire person prays. The whole person prays. It's really hard to do this part, isn't it? Anybody aware of this when they're praying? That my intellect is engaged? Maybe my my, my memory? And then, man, the movement of the will? My heart just soared towards the Lord all of a sudden? It's difficult. But it is necessary. It is necessary if we are going to grow. Because the Lord, right, He came to redeem the whole person as well. And that means my intellect, my imagination, my memory, my will, my emotions, and my body. But he wants to have all of that. We recognize the result of original sin already present when we try to pray just the very beginnings, the wandering mind. Right? Shows a fragmentation in our very persons. Right? There was an integri- in- integrity before the fall right? to where the ability to contemplate, to engage in the Lord was easy. It was easy. It's not so for us. Doesn't mean that we don't do it though, right? Okay. When the will bursts forth with acts of love, an intimate contact is established between the soul and God, and then it is that the soul can truly be said to be praying. Discursus in meditation is merely a preparation for the arousal of love. Again, this this may be a little little high for you, but it's it's by virtue of the the theological virtues. Remember the theological virtues? There's three of them. Faith, hope, and charity. That we are united to God. We are united to God. And charity is the one that remains in heaven on this side we need all three faith hope and charity that unites me to the Lord and that's a grace that he gives me 
Charity is the one that remains. When love is stirred in the process of meditation, it says then it can be said that I am truly praying because love is what unites me to the Lord. I'm united more deeply into Him. There's greater contact there. And that's real. And this love is something that then needs to be acted upon. Any meditation that is properly made should terminate in a practical resolution for the future. Love cannot be idle. In order for my meditation to be fruitful and to grow, it should always conclude with some resolution that this encounter, this, this movement this stirring of love in my heart should then lead me to change or to intensify something in my life. It's an encounter with the Lord where a mirror may be held up to my face or to my soul. And if Jesus Christ is the image of perfection, union with Him is what I'm aiming for. He will reveal through this time of meditations the areas that I still need to hand over to Him, that I still need to repent. The areas where I need to exert a little more energy in in being charitable. And if the prayer is going to be fruitful and not just be idle, then it requires my taking action outside of that. The more I do that, the Lord will then begin to infuse with His grace even more. And then prayer will become, say, routine, but it'll be something that, that, that is much easily, more easily engaged in. There'll be a greater hunger for it because He will bless my efforts. He's never outdone in generosity. We say that all the time. He will bless my efforts right, to act upon that which I have received in the time of meditation. Okay, here's another kind of bomb quote. And this is speaking specifically about meditative prayer. Okay, where we're engaging, it's more than just, you know, saying words, but actually chewing, chewing on the truths of the faith and what the Lord is saying to me in them, stirring the will, and then going and acting upon that outside of prayer, that experience proves that there is absolutely nothing that can supply for the life of prayer, it's meditation, not even the daily reception of the Eucharist. There are many persons who receive communion every day, yet their spiritual life is mediocre and lukewarm. The reason is none other than the lack of mental prayer, either because they omit it entirely or they practice it in a mechanical and routine fashion. We repeat that without prayer it is impossible to attain Christian perfection. And we talked about this too in the homily series on the Mass. Right? That, that the Eucharist, Jesus is always there, fully present. The fullness of Himself, ready to give Himself to us. But the disposition that we bring to, to the Mass is going to determine how, how effective, how fruitful He is allowed to be in my heart. Same thing. Same thing here. That mental prayer is the thing that tills the soil of my heart. These encounters, right, through my individual time of reflection and meditation, chewing on the truths of the faith, chewing on the mysteries of the events of Christ's life and the Gospels, 
right, should, should till the soil of my heart for fruitfulness there in that time of prayer, but also when I receive Holy Communion, right, the place where, where the most grace is dispensed, that that's when, when daily Mass really begins to transform me. We have to remember that this is always within the context of a relationship. It's not simply about jumping through hoops and doing more things for God so that He will like me. It's an encounter. And we we can look at at this analogously with our human relationships. Look at the deepest friendships you have. They started out with just like talking, vocal prayer, right? I'm I'm inquisitive. I don't know who you are. We start talking, right? And then we start asking questions about each other, revealing more of ourselves, right? The questioning can be likened to, to the meditation where I'm kind of thinking, I'm pondering, I'm questioning, I'm seeking the truth, right? And then after the relationship has deepened, and this is even more so the relationship between spouses, Right? There's a deeper communion there where we don't really have to talk. We can just be in each other's presence. It's kind of the image of, of contemplation. But in order to get to that point, we've got to have the meditation, and it's got to be relational. It's got to be relational. Okay. Time is flying. I'm going uh, to real quick jump to to effective prayer, and I'm going to come back to meditation at the end because this is something that, that, that we all need to be practicing consistently if we're going to grow, okay? Effective prayer is a, it's, it's similar to, to meditation except of, of which faculty of the soul predominates here. Okay, in meditation, I'm using more of my intellect to try to dig to try to understand. In effective prayer, it's more my will that's involved, meaning right, love. And so, not that I don't meditate at all, but, but once, once my heart is stirred, once the Lord begins to poke and to prod and to, to give Himself, that I'm just to rest there, Right, to, to, to stop thinking so much. He's here. And he says, look, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to give myself to you in a different way. So sit still. Sit still. Stop thinking about it. Just be with me. Okay? So it flows from meditation. Right? And usually this doesn't precede meditation. Reason being... They, they say that the will is blind. Right? And again, this is part of, of original sin. And we can, we can experience this. I love chocolate. I love my dog. I love whatever. Our, right? Our hearts right, are kind of uh, fickle. Right? They're blind. They'll attach on to anything that we, we derive pleasure from. Right? We need the meditation where we focus on divine truths to know what, what is proper to love and the order that we should love. Right? 
And so once that has, has already a, a solid foundation, right, then the heart has been trained and recognizes when I encounter the Lord. And so then the reason to move there and to let, to let the Lord just stir my affections and to offer them back to Him. Right? However He communicates that. I don't have to think so much. Okay, some pitfalls here is that we can, uh, we can too quickly jump from meditation into effective prayer. And when that happens, we can deceive ourselves and think that we're praying, but we're not praying. So I get the warm fuzzies, like, mmm. And I'm just feeling warm and fuzzy, and I'm not encountering the Lord. Okay, there's got to be some depth here, um, and which can then lead to me wasting time. And Teresa would say that this is something that's a gentle, it's a gentle transition. That it's, it's, not, it's not sudden, it's not, it's not going to be jarring, um, but it's, it's, it's gentle. And so when we begin to feel right, this, this desire to, to rest the mind after we've been doing it for a little bit, and to just rest in the Lord's presence, right, to not be afraid to do that. Right? He'll be the one that leads and he'll do that, you know, again, by, by removing the desire to ponder. And he invites us into that place of rest. And so when he does that, to not be afraid to let him do that. Now what is indispensable? We said it for vocal prayer and for meditative prayer, and it's, it's, it goes for here too, is what? Attentiveness. Attentiveness. So if I get the warm fuzzies and I'm thinking about the date that I'm going on this weekend, and I, you know, I started out by saying, Lord, Lord, I come to, to, you know, to be in your presence and to give my heart to you, and then as soon as I start praying, my mind drifts to the guy or girl I'm going out with, and my heart starts, man, just pounding, and it's like, oh yeah, I want to rest right here. That's not prayer. That's idolatry. Okay, um. <laughs> oh, man, attentiveness. I have to be attentive to the one with whom I am communicating, whether it be through pondering his divine truths or through resting in his presence and allowing the fire that he has lit in my heart, right, to burn towards him, not to take it and direct it to some other creature. Attentiveness. Okay. There'll be times when, okay, in the midst of this affective prayer, right, the heart kind of stills or it cools and the longing kind of dies down. St. Teresa says, when that happens, pick the Bible back up and start meditating again. Okay, it's not a bad thing, it is common, in fact. Right? That these types of prayer, these times of affective prayer, especially at the beginning, especially as we transition into that stage, right? the times of effective prayer are going to be sporadic and short at first. And the Lord will gradually right, strengthen the soul and our heart and our ability to remain attentive 
for a longer time. But we should not get discouraged. We should not think that the Lord has abandoned us when the fire dies a little bit. But just to go back to meditation, to retain our, our attention, um, to regain our attention on whatever it is that we were pondering before. And some of the gifts of this is that, you know, one, again, as you said, this is work. It is work to do this type of prayer. And as the catechism says, it's a battle. And so that the Lord, when he draws into this time, it's, it's, a, it's you know, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a time when the soul rests. Right? The mind gets to rest a little bit. And I can just sit for a little while in the Lord's presence, offering him this, the longing of my heart. And then it, it prevents us from depending too much on the faculty of our intellect. We can fall into this rationalism where we have to understand and know everything. You know, and, then, and gradually that tends to being more to, to this, this whole unholy self-reliance and self-sufficiency as opposed to just you know, being more dependent upon the power, the love, the mercy, the providence of God. The effective prayer helps to protect us from that. And then again, it, it deepens. It deepens our union with the Lord. It's real contact. Also, an effective prayer in this deepening of love, right? The affect is proper to the will, right? Love is the proper exercise of the will. All the virtues that are present in my soul are deepened. Every virtue is strengthened and deepened. Right? St. Paul says that in Colossians, right? Above all these things, put on love which binds all the other virtues together, and it perfects them, that love, charity, is the greatest of all virtues. It's the highest way, and it will infuse the rest of them. And so this encounter with the Lord in this time of effective prayer deepens every virtue that is present in my soul. And this, again, as I said, is, is one of the indicators that I am growing is that, that the level of virtue will be deepened as well. Okay. The danger of this, I'm about to run real quick because we got like four or five minutes, I think. Ten minutes. Okay. I won't run then. We'll just jog. <laughs> the danger is we can force it. We can force our affections. Right? And if we tend to be more affectionate as opposed to cerebral, Right? Some of us are, are, are more uh, disposed to, to being affectionate. Then, then we, can, we can, again, deceive ourselves and want to jump too quick there without having pondering the truth, without coming to know the Lord and to know the truth that he's given me. And so I just, I just want to love. You know? and, and also with this, again, comes attachment to consolations. This prayer feels good. Okay, it feels good. It's delightful. Um, not that it's, it's always, you know, like, it's, it's not ecstatic or anything like that, but it is usually accompanied by consolations. And so we can easily get attached to consolations, and then the consolations that God gives us become our God. And we go to prayer seeking that as opposed to seeking Him. So that's one of the dangers we want to guard against. And then, of course, um, spiritual gluttony. More. Give me more. It's not enough. More, more, more. And again, it's a distortion of true and authentic love. And that also, if we're not careful, 
spiritual sloth. So we talked about the hard work of being attentive, both in mental prayer, right? The Lord will strengthen that ability. He'll make it easier as we move into effective prayer. But uh, if we're not careful, right, we will enjoy that rest too much that we become lazy and we think that, like, this is it. This is the pinnacle. I've reached the mountaintop. Transforming union right here. And I don't want to progress anymore. I don't want to continue with any work. And so I can stunt my growth. All right, the last one. Stage four. Is the prayer of simplicity or the prayer of acquired recollection or just the prayer of what's called a simple gaze. And it's just, may seem... Simple, it's because it is. A simple loving gaze upon some divine object. Right? And it's, it's almost, again, as we progress in these things, harder to put into words and to really understand, especially if we have not experienced it. Um, but attentiveness still heightened, but, but much less work with my intellect, and maybe even a little drier than effective prayer. But the soul is okay with that. It's just ability to remain in the Lord's presence. And to simply look at Him. You think of adoration. You know, just, just gazing upon the Lord in the Eucharist. Gazing upon His presence in my soul. Without having to think. Without having to speak. Even, even speaking within my, you know, my own mind to Him. Just a simple gaze. To look upon Him. And at this point where, you know, there's no method for this, right? The soul moves there, and the Lord is the one who draws it. This is the beginning kind of transition point towards contemplative prayer, where the Lord begins to do most of the work. We're not going to go into that, but uh, just some dangers that, that I'll throw out, and then some fruits of that, um, is that we may be, especially we Americans who are about doing stuff, getting it done, the idea of simply sitting and gazing is hard for us to, to, to swallow. I have to be doing something. And so the Lord could be leading me deeper and inviting me into this place of prayer. But if I'm not, if I'm not careful, I can resist it by thinking I have to do I have to do more. When he's saying, no, just, just sit and be with me. Right? The simple gaze. Also, we may end up jumping the gun on the Lord here. Right? And confuse just the effective prayer with this. And so stop meditation altogether. Thinking that we've reached this time of, of, of simplicity. And that's, that has not happened yet. Okay. The simplicity will be seen in my life. That's one of the ways that I can know um, is that just my life becomes more simple. The way that I live, the way that I speak, the way that I respond to different circumstances and situations. And then it's also accompanied by a deep, deep recollection in God even outside of my formal prayer times. That when I'm studying, when I'm working, that there's just, there's, there's, a recollection within my soul that I am present to the Lord at the same time that I'm doing these other things. And then at this point, 
the soul is, is basically primed, right, to move into the next stages of prayer, um, which are contemplative. Okay. I want to go back to meditation as far as, like, how we do this. Because, again, so what I want you to do, right, because we got to grow. We got to move beyond vocal prayer. Okay. And before I do that, just to, I want to mention one thing, right? So in some of these transitions, the, I didn't mention them yet because it, especially from that time of prayer of simplicity into infused contemplation is, uh, is when the big one takes place, the first big one. We talk about the dark nights of the soul, the dark night of the senses, the dark night of the spirit. Anybody here heard of that? Shake your heads yes if you have. Shake your heads no if you haven't. Okay. Um, kind of is what it sounds like. It's a dark night that your soul experiences. Um, it's not fun. It's not pleasant. And it partly because of, again, as we said in the beginning, that it's the soul is experiencing something that is divine. It is wholly other. It's not something that is natural to us or that we're used to. And so all of our faculties are darkened and we can't control it. You know, it's a good thing, but it's, it's, a, it's a purifying thing. It's, it, it can be painful. Um, I say that just because oftentimes the term dark night is thrown around very loosely. I experience some suffering. I'm going through the dark night. No, most of the time not. Most of the time I'm just suffering. Most of the time it's just desolation, maybe depression. The dark night is something that is very specific. Okay, and it... it it is something, it is not a punishment, it is a grace that the Lord gives to the souls that he wants to draw into this, this contemplative union. And so, I say that just for your information. If you hear people telling you they're going through the dark night, you don't have to like, no you're not, shut up. You know, but, but just so you know, you know, and in a case, like for your own self, when you're experiencing desolation, that's, that's common. When you experience suffering, um, it won't come until... Further down the line. All right, meditative prayer. How do we do it? Attentiveness, remember, attentiveness, attentiveness, attentiveness is going to be big. Okay? I'm going to run over time real quick, but I, I want you all to get this. You have to do it. Right? As hard as it is, and as many times as you may go to pray and like, oh, my mind was wandering, I was thinking about that episode of whatever I watched on Netflix last night, or I started worrying about homework or the test, or having a fight with my mom, and so there's really, you know, you got to start somewhere. Remember, right? This is the ascetical part of prayer. It requires effort, a little bit of sweat on our part. The Lord will be faithful if, right, you're struggling for the attentiveness. And you're consistent. The soul needs prayer more than the body needs oxygen. Right? And so if I know that, and I know that, you know, I, I go to prayer also just mainly because of love. Of love. That that's what I'm, I'm made for. Right? That it's not going to be easy all the time. That's okay. Don't think that you're not good at it because you struggled paying attention and then give up. Because if you do that, you will never progress. And you will main, remain a spiritual infant for the rest of your life. 
And that's not good. We need saints. Saints are those who are mature in Christ. Who have been purified. Who have put forth the work. Run so as to win. St. Paul says. So do not give up. I'm going to recommend that you begin with 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes a day. I'd like for you to work up to about 30. St. Francis of Sales says everybody should be praying 30 minutes a day. That's a big goal. Don't be intimidated by it, and don't try to do it right off the bat if you haven't been praying 10 minutes or 20 minutes a day already. Because you may do it once, you may do it twice, and then you're going to fall on your face, and this is too hard, and I quit, right? You've got to build up the stamina and the endurance. Start 10 minutes a day. Right? Meditation is what? Applying the intellect, my reason, to some supernatural truth in order that I may come to love both the truth and the source of truth, God himself. Right? And then be moved to action outside. Okay, so I need to find something to meditate on. Start with the Gospels. It's easy to just do the Gospel of the day. I know all of you have, have iPhones. There's a billion apps where you could find the readings of the day. If you're going to use your phone to pray, put it on airplane mode. Because you will get texted or Snapchatted or whatever else comes in on your phones. Right? St. John of the Cross says that Satan spends way more energy and effort on getting a contemplative to not pray than on getting somebody who is steeped in sin to commit more sin. He spends way more time and effort in getting a contemplative to stop praying than he does in getting somebody who is steeped in sin to keep sinning. Prayer is what defeats the kingdom of darkness. So if you commit to it, just be ready for distraction to come. Don't freak out about it. It's normal. But I tell you that, especially with the phones, because he'll use that. So put them on airplane mode. Ten minutes a day, right? Some preparation. You need to find a place. Best place to do it before the Blessed Sacrament. If not there, another place that's quiet can be a bedroom. If you want to go up on the levee, if you like praying outside, you know. Find a place where you're not going to be distracted. If we don't pray some of the time, we will never pray all of the time. Give God a space and time. Pick your passage, the gospel of the day, and then I want you to, to ask three questions of it. That's it. It's the meditation process right here in a nutshell. You're going to read it through once. Before you read it, ask the Holy Spirit to lead the prayer, help you to be receptive. You're going to read it once with the question, what does it say? What's it about? And, and, and don't, don't worry about being like a scripture scholar here. Right? Just read it, what does it say on the surface? You're going to read it through a second time. Second question, what does it say to me? Right? So I'm focusing with my intellect and I'm paying attention interiorly trying to be as still as I can what stirs, what thoughts pop into my mind, what questions, what memories, what image, and does something, an emotion maybe even stir in the heart. 
It leads to the third question. What does this lead me to say back to Jesus? What does it say? What does it say to me? What does it lead me to say back to him? Simple. Have the conversation in your heart. Let him speak back. Spoiler alert, you may not hear him audibly. It's okay. If you're speaking to him, he is listening. He's God. He can listen to every single human being he created at the same time. Okay? So he's listening to you. And he will give back. Remember, he's never outdone in generosity. Sometimes it will be delightful. Sometimes it will be silent. Stick to your ten minutes. Even if you're done talking after three. At the end of that ten minutes, you thank the Lord. Even if it was dead silence. Even if nothing stirred that day. And you offered it to him as an act of love. You say that. Jesus, I thank you for this time of prayer. Even though I don't feel like I received anything from it. I trust that I did. Because you are good. You are all loving. And I offer you this whole time. As an act of my love. And he will bless that. He will bless that. And you will grow. Okay. That's pretty much it. I'm going to throw something in at the end of this. This is just moving into the Q&A right now. Is that what we're going to do? Um. Feel free to leave, by the way, if you want to. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I know it's after 8 o'clock. Um, spiritual direction is another thing right, that a lot of folks ask for. In order to go to spiritual direction, prayer is a prerequisite. If you're not praying consistently, there's nothing for a director to direct you in. That's what spiritual direction involves. It's like, okay, this is my prayer. I've been praying with this passage. You know, I feel like this is where the Lord's been leading me in prayer, and, and these are the things that, that kind of well up. You know, a director is supposed to kind of be a mirror for you, to maybe help you see things that you're not seeing in your own relationship with the Lord. Um, but prayer is a prerequisite. If there's no prayer, there can be no real direction, you know. Um, don't be so focused on a spiritual director. The Holy Spirit is the first spiritual director. The church, who is enlivened by the Holy Spirit, is the other. The Holy Spirit communicates through the liturgy every day. The Word of God speaks to us, gives us something to chew on. And so we can do that. Listen to the homilies. Hopefully, if they're, if they're good and, and worth hanging on to, they should give a little direction as well. And then you can confession. Not that we spend 45 minutes in confession but just tidbits here and there. Um, and then spiritual friendship. I mean, that's the other place where spiritual direction takes place. Somebody who is living the life of a disciple that you know. When you talk about this discipleship, you begin to share your life with them. Spiritual conversations will take place. You can share experiences of my struggles with prayer, of the graces I've had in prayer, and continue to, to, to help, to help you as well. Okay. That's just the, the, the addendum, the supplement.
I don't know how to end. That's it, Grant. Okay. Um, I'm going to add two things really quick. I mean, that was awesome, but I'm just thoughts. Number one. Um, so I took a spiritual theology class in college, and it was phenomenal with Dr. Brant Petrie. So everyone looking at me like, take a deep breath right now, like for real. Okay, you don't have to leave here and now figure out like where you are like in the spiritual life and like what kind of prayer do I pray and what kind do I not pray. Some of you may not be thinking about that, but I was like, hmm, where am I in the spiritual journey? And it can, it just distracts you. Like this is a gift, everything he just offered you, but what Father Rubin was trying to invite you to is like just pray. He's like, I don't really care if you don't remember the words I just told you. The point is him. Like, make sure you see the finger. Point him. <laughs> um, the other things. <laughs> the other thing is when he was mentioning, like, you know, we were laughing about the date you go on this weekend or different things happening in your families or this or that. Um, what he's not saying is, oh, like, go to the Adoration Chapel and check all that stuff at the door. And then go in so you can, like, focus on prayer. What he's saying is, is bring all that stuff with you into prayer and take it all and put it in his heart. And then look at him. Because the point is, like, if you're learning his face in prayer, then when you walk out and you step into those situations, you can see him better in those situations. So he's actually, like, he's untying knots and he's preparing your heart. He delights in all of those joys that you have, and he hurts with you in all those pains. He's not saying God doesn't see that. He's saying, take those as gifts and offer to him, but don't let them become distractions from him and know that he's in those spaces, but he knows them, so just sit with him. Does that make sense? Okay, sweet. Those are just two thoughts I want to share. Um, can we, do you mind, we're just going to pray with Father Reuben, and then we'll do question and answer. Okay, sweet. Okay. Lord, we just thank you for the gift of Father Reuben. We thank you for the gift of his priesthood. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of his words and for his heart. Lord, I just ask for a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that he would just come and be and reside within the heart of his son, that he would set Father Reuben's heart on fire, that Father Reuben within his priesthood and as a son of God would experience a new Pentecost and would reflect to the world through the gift of who he is, the Father's face. We want to trust all of this to God's fatherhood. As we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And St. Joseph, pray for us. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's hear it again for Father Reuben. Okay, so thank you for coming. If you have to go, you're more than welcome to leave.